Welcome back to <laughs> Welcome to the Mentors, where we talk to creators, entrepreneurs um, that want to get shit done. And today is a very, very special episode. Get shit done. Get her done. Get shit done. <laughs> As you can hear, there's a third GTD. voice. GTD. Oh. We you like to use acronyms. Uh, okay. All right. So we have a special episode for you today where we're interviewing someone that's an entrepreneur in uh, many definitions of the word. Uh, he uh, has his own business that has also helped him launch a full-time stand-up comedy career in... Uh, one of the cities in the world where that's actually, I think, the most difficult thing to do. And I think you'll find throughout this episode that many of the skills that he learned in becoming an entrepreneur uh, were very transferable uh, and applied to um, to comedy as well and actually helped him succeed in that. Sadek Samani uh, has been featured on the front page of Huffington Post. Uh, he has performed uh, his stand-up comedy in over 40 cities um, all across the world, U.S., Canada, Europe, and even in Israel. Uh, recently, he did a show in Tel Aviv, uh, and he has been able to do all of this um, in a few short years. So we want to talk a little bit about his history and learn from him on uh, how he found out that he is an entrepreneur, uh, what gave him the confidence to do the things that he's able to do, and hopefully uncover uh, how he actually accomplished those things. And, and by the way, you guys were at my show. In well, you weren't. You were. I was just at a uh, Sadiq <clears throat> show. I just always television. assume you two are together. <laughs> yeah. We sound the same, look the same, and make love that is in kinda... the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I know I can vouch for that one. Like, I didn't uh, want them to make love to me, though. That was kind of weird. That was a weird... Why? That was a weird... But you didn't, why, you it wasn't say, consensual. You, you because... didn't say no. You didn't say no. <laughs> Um, maybe that's because I was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> He's just saying that now. So, well, but it was uh, it was good for us at least. Uh, we, Part of the reason uh, why we're really excited to have Sadik on the show today is because he's a creator in the true sense of the word and in many different realms. Um, and so, if you're listening to this podcast and you're excited about potentially being a comedian or being a public speaker or being a painter or being a singer, or whatever it is that you're passionate about. You know, this show is about taking your own initiative and trying to succeed and progress, and Sadiq has been able to do that on a couple of different fronts. Yeah, and Sadiq and the two of us actually met for the first time, uh, I think in 2012, when we were launching uh, essentially a show. It was a meetup called Technical Talent, where Sadiq offered to perform for free, because that's what good comedians do. They get on the stage as often as possible to to make their craft to better essentially and um and he was he was a repeated guest at this event where he I, made I think it was 2015 though was it 2015 yeah Maybe because it was, it was right it was yeah because I, I i moved to new york in 2012 yeah. um and then i did comedy for about a year then i got sick for two years i have ulcerative colitis oh wow so um, I'm technically disabled, guys. I get to the bathroom first. <laughs> <It's milking. laughs> Do you have the parking uh, privileges? I, I don't. I should get one of those things because no one believes me when I'm like, I'm technically handicapped. They're like, but you don't look handicapped. I'm That's like, um, I, okay. Uh, as long so, as you get your sympathy points. Sometimes. So I think 2015 was probably, it was like early 2015. Yeah. It was, what was the bar? Uh, you're absolutely right. It was 2015. Patty Riley's. Patty Riley's yes. in New York City. New York City. Uh, we probably had about 12 people there. 
maybe 15, uh, but you had a great set and I invited you many times over. But I, I want to learn, I want the audience to, to learn a little bit more about you, perhaps uh, learn things that they may not otherwise know about you just by checking you out online. And, and that's sayhisname.com, by the way. Say that again? <laughs> sayhisname.com. Sayhisname.com. Because they don't know how to spell my name. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Right. Sayhisname.com. And you yeah. share a name with the mayor of London, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, but he calls himself Sadiq, which is yeah. like the English pronunciation. Uh, so British people. Yeah. I know Americans, too. I mean, I'm sure American the first people. time you guys met me, you probably called me Sadiq. I did. Sadiq. I called you many yeah. times. I've known <laughs> <laughs> uh, But like in, you know, the guy calls himself Sadiq and it annoys me so but I like it I like being able to have a weird name and then I can correct people and have a own sayhisname.com <laughs> oh yeah the three of us here have weird names and I think we've embraced it so Sadiq I I know that uh, especially a lot of the young people listening here they may or may not see themselves as entrepreneurs they don't know if they have what it takes and so I'm, I'm wondering you know before we get into how you became an entrepreneur did you always see yourself as one and if you could think back in your life if there's any uh, one skill that you developed that you think has helped you succeed in this realm, what would that be? So I don't think I was always an entrepreneur. Um, I was a slacker. I procrastinated. Like I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to watch TV all the time. I was bad at school. Um, I just made my way through. I was like a deep student and just made my way through life. Uh, and I was extremely smart and curious. Like my teachers even said, he's really smart. I don't understand why he doesn't do the work and stuff. Um, and so I was curious. I was I was intelligent, but I just I guess I didn't really fit into all the roles that society was creating for us, which is like go to school and perform in this specific way, and you got to write this specific way, and you got to memorize these specific things, and you got to repeat them. And then you you know I think that was like really boring for me, and so. I just sat around and like did nothing. I watched TV. Um, but in terms of getting to that point, I think it was just getting a computer and like my curiosity starting when my brother bought me a computer. And that opened up everything that let me get in touch with myself. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> the look he Computers just gave us. Like, that. Even I was like, <laughs> nah, I, at that moment, I felt bad for all the women that have been been with me. I'm like, oh man, that must have been disgusting. <laughs> the male but, anatomy. <laughs> but you know, it 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 allowed me to explore and actually figure out who I truly am. And from that point forward, I still slacked off. You know, I used like I used the computer to figure out the Cliff Notes version of 1984, so I could figure out how to do an oral report for summer school. You know, which I needed in order to graduate after five and a half years <laughs> in school. When it and if you're Canadian, it takes four in America. Mm -hmm. So just FYI, because <laughs> in Canada it's five. Oh, I see. So they're just like, oh, oh half yeah. a year more is not that bad, but. So you graduated a, a year and a half late. Um, pretty much. Pretty much because you didn't, the school didn't really resonate with you. Um, so I guess then you took something that was a, a personal curiosity of yours and you built on it. How did you, how did you do that? Like what did you do to learn how to use a computer? Um, well, I mean, I just tinkered with it. And my parents even told me they're like, you know, when you were younger, you would take your brother's toys and you would break it open just to see what was inside. 
And so I do the same. I did the same thing with you know we used to have desktop computers. It was huge. You take out the memory and your hard drive and all these cables, and there wasn't really instructions on it everywhere like there is today. But there was enough for me to be like, okay, these pins look like they connected this wire, and so like I played with it. Um, I would get parts from other people, and I'll just continue building mem like adding more memory, adding more hard drive space. Building HTML and CSS on my own, just figuring it out, mm -hmm. just like putting stuff down and then having the compile, like the browser compile the information. Like, okay, this doesn't work. Okay, then look at someone else's code and like tweak it. I used to come up with applications. I used Visual Basic. I used to make. I used to take someone else's application, coded my own from the ground up based on their functionality, and then it was basically like a punter. You ever heard of that? You know what a mm -hmm. punter is. It was basically, um, we used to use uh, Instant Messenger, right? Mm -hmm. It was a robot or an app that would send uh, a certain type of text or string to a person through Instant Messenger, and it would freeze their computer to the point that they would have to restart it. <laughs> so you were Mr. Robot. Uh, I don't watch pop culture. I guess I am. I don't know. Is he an he's asshole? A, he's a hacker. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a hacker. <laughs> but I guess you were an asshole. <laughs> Sometimes, but it's funny. <laughs> At what point did you get enough confidence to start doing this, whether it's coding or whatever it is, for <laughs> for other people, not just yourself? Start doing it professionally, essentially. Right? Yeah, start doing it professionally. Um, I saw that there was money in it. Um, people were telling me, uh, and I was 16 when I got my first like HTML job. Mm. Um, it was paying me like 30, 40 bucks an hour, which... In the 90s, it was a lot of money. That's like, now it's like a standard thing. But back then, it's like 30 bucks an hour, you know, 16-year-old, yeah. when everyone else is making five. Mm. Um, but I slacked off. They fired me. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I moved to Dallas for a year. I worked there uh, for someone, slacked off, fired me. <laughs> Then I worked for Design Tech One, which is now Auto Agent, um, in 2002, which is the company that I've been with since 2002, and now I'm a partner of. Oh wow! Um, so I started, I started with them as a part timer, and I finally became like a professional because it was an actual company company, and like you had to go into work and you had to be responsible. You had to put in your hours. How many employees was it when you joined? Uh, it was around maybe seven or eight, I want to say. Okay. So there was like the the boss, who's now my business partner, um, someone in sales and finances and accounting, and then one project manager, a few developers, and a uh, and a graphic designer and a network admin. So how how does somebody who labels himself as a slacker, or at least you were a slacker, how do you become? an entrepreneur, a comedian, an activist, and all, do all of these things. Like, yeah. What changed in your life that uh, helped you accomplish it? Um, so in 2003 or 2002, the government signed the Patriot Act. Okay. Um, it was passed because of 9-11. And one of the stipulations besides NSA spying was to register people from predominantly Muslim countries and North Korea. There was 13 Muslim countries, I believe. Access of evil, is it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> evil can evil uh, <laughs> 
And so, um, and I mean, look at me, you know, I have my shit's from Zara. Like, I'm, you know, Axis of Evil is probably really fashionable, I guess. <laughs> you guys can't see Sadik right now, but he is one handsome uh, man that uh, dresses incredibly well. Uh, uh, and still, no women want to date me. <laughs> I we never get that. I actually know. I like go out dancing. I'm like, why? How, how come I'm still single? How come, like, because um, uh, I'm crazy? All right. So. <laughs> We're all a little crazy. Uh, slightly terrifying. Uh, so, so that happened and like uh, I was an illegal immigrant back then and I came to the country when I was seven. My family came to the country when I was seven years old. Um, so, I mean, I didn't know that there was this process. I didn't even know what legal and illegal meant, you know? And so now I have to go through this process and I had to go register. There's a whole story where I had to go to jail. It was a night of the Iraq war when we went to the Iraq war. It was like symbolic. Wow. Wow. Um, and then like I, I was, I had my ex-girlfriend at the time. We got married. We had all this stuff going on, like went through the process. I had to go, I had to not only go through interview, like do INS interviews, but also court, mm-hmm. you know, because it's two different things. And the judge basically at the end, um, I had to show that I had friends that like character witnesses, like saying that like I'm a good person, that I pay my taxes. Wow. And then even the lawyer was like, "Man, I want to be your friend." And I was <laughs> like, "Really? That's nice. Like that. I don't like. I don't know who I am. You know, I'm I'm in my early twenties. This is all going on. You know, like I can't process any of it. I don't know. I I've, I've grown up in this brown environment with Muslims and like." Now I'm in this whole new world where I'm a criminal. And and so after I got my green card, I told myself, look, I'm going to start all over again. I think, you know, everything, anything, anything and everything anyone has told me previously, I'm going to let that all go and I'm going to try everything again. So to give you an example, um, growing up, I hated seafood because my parents would serve us fish with, with the bones in them. Mm. Russians do the same thing. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, ew, you know? (laughs) So Russians do the same thing, right? Did did you like that, though? Did you like... Loved when the bones got stuck in my throat. Yeah, right? Why do they do that? The Russians are a bit sadistic. I think it's uh, other cultures in general. We're all, like, weirdos outside of America. (laughs) It's all about the struggle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so, um, so then I was... You know, I wouldn't eat sushi because... It was raw fish, and I was like, ew, da, da, da. but I had never tried it. How can I have an opinion if I haven't tried it, right? Um, so I went and had sushi with a friend at a really good sushi restaurant, and then I started eating sushi like every meal. That's <laughs> why so I was like, oh, wow, sushi's really expensive. I can't have it every meal. Uh, I need to become an entrepreneur so I can make money so I can eat more sushi every day. That is quite and that's how it changed. <laughs> so here you go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Eat more sushi and you want to run your own business. Uh, but, you know, that is, and I think everyone, my, my belief is that everyone needs to take all their beliefs and cross it off and do it all over again. Like humanity as a whole needs to cross off all our past belief systems and retrain ourselves to what is real and what we want, you know, because not because that from that point, I got to decide, okay, I like this or I don't like this. I like this or I don't like this. This is what I feel. This is what I need. Like, for example, do you guys know what love languages are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's there's five you want to... Yeah, you talk us through it. Uh, you got touch, you got time, you got acts of service, uh, words of affirmation and gifts. 
And love, a love language is basically what your partner or what someone can do to you that makes you feel loved or affection, right? So for me, if someone touches me, like if, a, if I'm with a girl and we're out on a date and she just touches me and grabs my arm just to be like, oh, look at that cute little da-da-da-da-da. And she just grabbed my arm. But to me, it's like she needs me, you know, like mm. that's my need she's filling. Um, so touching, you know, is a big, big component for me. But I didn't know that like consciously, you know, consciously prior to those those moments, it was more like you shouldn't touch yourself. You shouldn't because it's part of religion, right? Like you're, you don't touch yourself. You don't feel this way. You don't have like everything that I was, my whole world was against. And then something's flipped and I'm like, I'm going to choose my pathway. And now I'm who I am. This is me. This is one. This is a complete 180 of who I used to be, like 12 years ago. So if somebody else feels like they want to change, you know, maybe they've been stuck in a job for a while and they've had some ideas, but they just haven't really felt like working on them, or mm-hmm. they they need to reprogram themselves in a way that you did. Yeah. What advice would you give them? I mean, is it just a switch that needs to go off? Is it a different routine? What is it? I I, I think it's try new things and gain knowledge about you know, things you're interested in. So stand-up comedy, for example, you know, off the, off the coattail of the sushi, uh, it was like, it was like, then I was like, okay, let's try guitar. And then let's try a voice class. Then let's try an improv class. Then I'm like, oh, I like comedy and I like communicating, but I don't like it in this format. Let me try stand-up. Then I tried it, then I got scared and I stopped and I tried it again a year later. So, just try new things. Just things that you know. You're like, there's a lot of people that go, oh, I want to go to this museum, but they never go. They never go and do things. Like you have to go expose yourself to things that you feel are going to be something that you like or need, and then try different things all the time, and you'll grow. You'll little by little, you'll grow. You'll be like, oh, I like this idea. Oh, I like that idea. Even the stuff that um, you guys were producing, you had all these, you know, you had some people were, they were doing spoken words, some people that were doing music. The technical I'm, talent, yeah. I'm watching all of you guys. And I'm looking, I don't, people look at the weaknesses. I look at the strengths. I'm like, everyone has weaknesses. I look at all your strengths and I try to absorb, absorb it into myself and be like, okay, how can I, uh, how can I put this inside of me and then let it out into the world in a format that I like, Right. So that's one. And I also recommend an improv class to everyone. Um, I think that it should be taught in elementary school. Um, It allows you to make mistakes, um, take risks, uh, play outside of who you are. And that is something that's very missing, especially in American society. Yeah, we we talk about this a lot, which is... <clears throat> figure out a way to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Improv class is a perfect example. You going out and doing comedy and getting scared is a perfect example. If you just stayed at home and were behind a computer because you were comfortable doing that and you didn't expose yourself to that new experience, like you said yourself, you wouldn't grow. Right. And more importantly, you would never know that there's a different version of you that you could be. And for anybody listening, you know, if you want to start a business, if you want to do anything... You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to start trying new things because you are only defined by yourself and your experiences and you can always completely redefine yourself yep. by 
trying new things. And that's where growth happens, right? When you're doing things that you're not used to, when you feel uncomfortable, that's when you're, that's how you know you're growing. And ultimately you will become comfortable with that thing and you will become an expert in that thing. And it's already yours. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people get scared of these things because they're, they're, they're fearful of what others think, right? Guess what, man? If there's people who love you around you, like surround yourself around those people that are going to push you. I mean, I'm. you heard me talk about all the stuff I want to do in 2018. Were you guys completely supportive of it? You're like, do it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you need. You just need people that are around you and you just need to take those risks. Yeah. So, so Sadik, when you think back here, uh, and sorry for coughing so much, man. It's the yeah. weather, and like, it's like I was in Colombia for a couple weeks. That's right, you just got awesome. back from Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and you guys can check check out a video on Sadik's uh, Colombia trip on sadiksamani.com. Did we spell his name out yet? S A D I Q S A M A N I. Yeah, that's All right. right. That's a good name. Dot com. Um, so, so you uh, and uh, you told me in the in the pre-show interview that uh, I didn't know this about you, but you dropped out of college, and uh, so I'm curious. I'm seeing here in in my notes that you joined a company part time in 2002, and then you became partner in 2009. Now, this so you can tell we can we can already tell here through that chronology alone that it didn't happen overnight. No. Um, so. How did that happen? I mean, how between 2002 and 2009 did you get the confidence to uh, to essentially try to even become a partner in this organization? What did you do to become a partner at this company? So when I started, I was part-timer, right? So I was just learning. Um, and for the first several years, I was just learning based on whatever projects I was given. I was put into positions with like different companies from government agencies to uh, companies that ch- sell chicken. You know, um, I, I got to learn on the job and then grow into a higher salary. And then basically we were in a, we used to do web applications and uh, web development back then. And you then. were a developer for them, right? So I was a developer. Um, and this was what before the whole outsourcing boom, right? Um, we made applications. We would do RFPs and would go to governments and would go to certain industries and be like, okay, this is what we're going to sell you, a website with this solution. And then we built those things out or we built the content management solution before you could just do it by yourself. RFPs, for those that don't know, are requests for proposal. Uh, And that's how oftentimes you get business when companies or governments are trying to find uh, essentially other organizations to do contracts for them. But continue. Uh, by the way, I didn't even know what that are uh, acronym because I don't go out and do the. There you RFPs, go. You can be but, successful in business and not know the acronyms. You just get 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 successful in business. You just get people that know the acronyms for you. Fake it till you make it, but then also continue faking it. <laughs> you, continue. Make you have to. How do you do? It? You gotta fake it, man. The whole time. That is life. So, uh, there was a point where people started leaving the company and we just didn't hire people, a, a, another person to replace them. And we started outsourcing a lot of those projects. Uh, and then it got to a point where it was just me and him. And this was around 2007, 2008. You and the founder, that is? Yeah. And we had an office in Chicago. We used to have it in Skokie, Illinois. Um, but then we moved to like a, in the north side of Chicago and we had an office. And now it's just me and him. And uh, 
telecommuting is happening now, right? So I'm not going into work. I'm just like, why am I coming into an office? Uh, then we started discussing this one software, which is the, um, it's called AutoAgent. It's basically, it helps large banks process property tax payments with large tax collectors. Okay. Riveting. Sounds fun. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> uh, you can. Go to autoagent.com. <laughs> uh, so we, we had the software that we sold to about four tax collectors in Illinois, including Cook County, Illinois. Uh, it's the second largest county in the, in the country. And we made it for a specific purpose, but we realized this actually solves a lot of problems for the tax collector and the bank. Because what happens is the bank now has to pay property taxes on behalf of some of their clients, some of their mortgage uh, uh, mortgage clients. I don't know what, they, what you call that, but whoever takes out mortgages. Sounds right. <laughs> and so, um, and I, f- I don't feel bad like making mistakes because I've heard a couple of your other podcasts and I was like, you guys help each other. I'm like, all right, they'll figure out the word for me. Right? <laughs> we didn't. Uh, <laughs> Debtors. <laughs> and this, by the way, is a perfect example of a specific <clears throat> target customer profile. It's not just every uh, tax collector. Yeah. It's the ones that have higher volume. Yes, and you yeah. and you and I think important to note that you you didn't set off necessarily saying I'm gonna we're gonna start a business uh, around trying to service tax collectors. You built a technology for uh, I imagine one con- uh, one client. It was one right. contract, and you found right. out that others need it, right? Right, and so we we gave it to three other tax collectors who use it in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing, okay, so in 2009, so now we have the software, right? We had four tax collectors from 2004 to 2009, something like that. Um, we, had, we had gotten four tax collectors. The problem is when you do RFPs, it takes so long to get anything done, and you don't even know if you're going to win the contract. So my business partner goes, why don't we charge the banks? They get a lot of value out of it, and they're more likely to pay for it. So we switched our model, our pricing model, and we started charging the banks. There was a pushback and stuff, and then they started seeing value in it. So we found a niche market. That's a big thing. We figured out the pricing model, and that came over a long time. Just right? by trying it, right? Trying, Just trying to sell different it. things, and you know, you had two intelligent people working on it. He's, he's 10 years older than me. So, like, he knew business, like, he already was running a business. I mean, it was his company, mm-hmm. you know. So and A lot of people, sorry to interrupt, but a lot of people get stuck on the pricing question. What do I charge my customers? What is my product or service worth? Try charging them anything in the beginning. Um, maybe you'll shoot high and it'll be too much and you'll get pushback. Maybe you'll realize they're saying yes too easily and it's too low and you can adjust with a different customer. But as Sadik said... It takes a while to figure out what the right pricing uh, is, and uh, it's okay. It's an unknown that you have to experiment through, just like anything else in business. So what happened once you found out that you can sell to banks and started doing that? So then we started looking at states and where where there were tax collectors that were uh, more likely to take the software, because right now we didn't have it. We only had Illinois. And so my business partner was traveling to conferences in Florida. And all these collectors actually have conferences all around the country. Um, They have associations within their own state. Um, So you can kind of sell to a bunch of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. 
He was still going to, he started going to Florida. And then one year, I think 2009, 2010, he goes, you should come to one of these conferences and see what's going on. And this is a point where it's like we have four tax collectors in Illinois. We have one client in Florida. And this client in Florida is like the tech county. Like they're ahead of the game. Hmm. So it was a good thing that they, they were using our software. They're giving us good feedback. And then we were also doing development on this side, outsourcing stuff, because we still needed revenue to come into the company. We're changing how we do business, right? Mm-hmm. So the tax collection stuff is not paying that well right now. The, you know, the development was. So it was almost like getting more clients and then switching it over little by little. Mm-hmm. So my business partner goes, come to a conference. I was like, sure. And I go there. Um, and I was much wilder than I am now, by the way. And, and I just to clarify, colored hair and he like, wasn't your business partner at that point yet, right? Uh, uh, mm, I don't know. Okay. I might have been. I, I really don't. I don't remember completely. I would have to go back and look at dates in my computer. Okay, no worries. But you, so you go with your crazy hair to yeah <laughs> to this, this conference, conference. <laughs> and and so then so I'm not a salesman, right? I'm like a I'm, I'm a techie. I'm a fun person to hang out with. That's a, that's really all it is. I can right? attest to that. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, we're there, and it's Florida, Jacksonville, and uh, they're doing the Gator, which is like a dance move, apparently. <laughs> so we're there, and I'm not trying to sell. I'm telling my business partner, listen, I'm not gonna sell. Let's just have fun, and then talk to these people, and then let them ask us. Like, let's try that. And so we just danced. We hung out. And the next day in the conference, these guys, all these people saw us at the trainings and stuff. And they're like, oh, we thought you were just crashing the party last <laughs> night. That's awesome. You guys are actually part of this conference. And we're like, yeah, da, da, da. We talked. And later on, we let them ask us what we did. And then we told them. And then we that year, I think, after that year, we added five new tax collectors. Mm-hmm. And then I started going with him to conferences to like kind of get that boost. Two of us working together um, until it it got to a point where it's like it was just doing it on its own. And was did you continue with the strategy? Get there the night before, party with people, and kind of yeah. That's smart. And it's not even party. It's like, dude, just I'm just gonna be myself, and I'm gonna hang out. I'm gonna be nice to everyone. The software is good. I know what it does. Like it is gonna make your life better. It sells itself. Mm-hmm. That's it, man. What did you guys? Well, if you can talk about it, what was your uh, average, you know, annual revenue per tax collect tax tax collector? Uh, just to give our audience an idea of what they were. Um, if you can give us a range. Well, it started with like a per parcel basis, but now we have contracts with some of the companies. Um, I would say it's. I think per installment is like around four thousand. Okay, so um, in the five in the four to five figures per per contract. Yeah, I mean, it, it and it, it depends on installment purposes too. So it's like they might have two installments in a year or mm-hmm. four. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. It changes from state to state, uh, and we have certain contracts, and then we have like other per parcel basis. So we have multiple things, but anywhere from like four to ten, I want to say okay. per installment. Got it. Got it. And so at, at the point where you have almost 10 tax collectors, it's starting to become a sustainable business. But right. can, you, can you tell us how you actually became partners with this individual? From How did you go from employee to a partner? I, I learned a lot from him. Mm-hmm. I learned how to be a businessman. 
and I was going through all those changes. I was working, you know, from 2000, uh, was it 2003, 4, 5, around 2004, 2005, I started learning new things and I, I was get, understanding myself and I got a lot of confidence and I knew I'm the only programmer. I'm not even the programmer. Forget the programmer part. I made the software. Right. That's it. The, the company wouldn't exist without my software and his sales techniques, right? So like, that's just the bottom line. And so I had the confidence and I was like, what's the worst that's going to happen? He's going to say no. He's going to lose out. This is like a million dollar idea. And if not a $100 million idea, he's going to lose out. Why would he lose out if he already built the software for him? Because it was it was still in its infancy. Mm-hmm. Like you only had a couple of clients and I added so much value, not only just the, the software aspect, but I was going to conferences. I could sell. Mm-hmm. Technically, it, you know, it, it, go ahead. Sorry. Well, we talk a lot about leverage. Um, you know, on one of our episodes, we talked about negotiating mm-hmm. equity. Uh, very similar concept here. You came into the conversation confident because you've been adding value uh, in, mu- in multiple ways for years. You established a relationship with him. Uh, hiring people and working with people that you can trust is difficult. It's difficult to find those types yep. of people. And so, yeah, maybe it was a little risky. Maybe he'd say no. But because you had built up so much, quote-unquote, leverage in the positive sense of the word, uh, you were pretty confident right. where that conversation was going I to checked go. every single box, man. Mm. You know, there was no reason to not... Like, the only reason why I wouldn't ask is because I didn't have confidence in myself. Mm. I checked every single box. When you approached your... Uh, the, this gentleman that you've been working for for a couple of years to try to become a partner, what, what did you actually say to him and then how did you negotiate it? So we're meeting for your, like... Uh, like we meet pretty much every year at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. to discuss everything and our goals. And uh, um, I just asked them. <laughs> there you have it, ladies. <laughs> he yeah. just asked. No, I just asked. No, seriously. Yeah. That's yeah. really, I, I believe, look, okay, I, I play my life like a basketball or like a football game, okay? What you see on the court or in the field is what's happening now, but you have to look at all the preparation that happens prior. The confidence that those players have on the field is due to the preparation that they had off the field prior to getting there, right? Same thing, that field was basically the negotiation table, right? All the work had been done prior. I read about these things. I looked it up. I, I did my research, and I prepared ahead of time so that at that moment, it's just like, this is what it is, mm. And so you asked him, did you, did you ask for a specific amount of the company? Uh, how did you go about specific amount? That? And mm-hmm. then he just said, okay. He so he didn't really negotiate. negotiate. Because I gave him the number that I, I wasn't going to negotiate. Mm-hmm. I was going to stick on that number. If he said anything else, I'd be like, nope, that's, that's it. Because yeah. it was completely fair. And you were willing to walk away. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's a big thing. That's a huge thing. Huge negotiating leverage. But I was making 50 grand a year. Right. You know, I was making less than I was making when I was 16. (laughs) Right. Okay. You know, it's like sometimes you just got to grow your balls and just do it. And how how many years were you working together at this point? Uh, Seven. Seven years. Okay. And you're still in Chicago, right? I'm still in Chicago at that point. So so around this time in 2009, uh, you become 
a partner at this organization. And then you decide to do something even crazier, which is at the same time as becoming a partner and essentially starting this new company, you decide to try stand-up comedy again. But it seems like you tried starting it seriously at this point in 2009, right? Uh, so 2009 I started, yeah, so I don't know what serious means because it wasn't really serious. It was more like, I got to, I, I, I know this is what it takes to become a standup comedian. What does it take? Okay. Seven to 10 years of grinding. And then eventually you start getting something if you're good. Mm -hmm. And that's just the base. That's just like trying to get gigs in clubs throughout the country that's not even Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock ask, right? That is another five to ten years tacked onto that, right? So I, I had an idea when I went back that this is what it's going to take, and I'm going to bomb hard for a very long time, especially in terms of the material I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, trying, to, um, I'm trying to stir the pot, you know, just a little bit. And... It, for that, you have to you, you you have to go out of the box. You have to try new things, and you have to take risks, and you have to fail. And the seventh show I did, I think it was seventh set I probably did. Uh, it was in the suburb of a Chicago or of Chicago uh, Joliet, and um, I was at a bar show, and I was doing really bad f for the first five minutes, and then someone in the back of the bar goes, "You're a faggot." <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's. Interesting. But again, I just started, so I don't know how to handle anything, right? Like, if t if he did that today, I'd be like, first off, why do you care? Like, are you asking me if I'm a faggot? <laughs> like, are you asking because you want to suck my dick later? <laughs> or like, like, why are you so curious about my sexuality? If I was sitting in your seat, I would either be listening at my material because I'm funny or looking around at women around uh, that are around me, right? Like, why are you looking at me? So I... I can do that now, but back then I was just like, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> and then I did another five minutes of a horrible set, and I had already told myself it was going to take long, a long, long time. And even now, even coming back from vacation and getting up on stage, I got up on stage four times on Thursday, right? I started, I had to, get, I had to uh, dust off the rust. And then, uh, and then get on stage for two shows. One that wasn't booked, it just happened like last minute. And luckily I did well because now I just feel seven years in, it's finally sinking in. I'm getting my voice. I'm putting myself out there. I know how to write uh, a lot better. I think that's actually a, a, something important to <clears throat> mention uh, that the expectation that you came in with this endeavor with is not that you're going to succeed overnight, not that you're going to try this for a few months and see if it works out or not, but you understood right away that you were not going to see any substantive results in a short period of time. You had to put in the work for years. And so with that in mind, it was probably a lot easier to fail, was it not? Yeah, so much easier to fail. Like it would, it, you, you let yourself be in the process, you know, and it sucked. I'm not saying like, it was just like, oh, I know I'm going to fail, so this is easy. <laughs> no, man. There was times when people were like, get off the stage. <laughs> or like just yelling or like heckling or like I bomb. And it's just, I, and, but I had to remind myself, one of the things that helped me go through this was um, eight months into stand-up, 
I took a class at the Improv in Schaumburg, which is a suburb of Chicago. Uh, and the Improv is like this big name in terms of clubs, right? Like it's it's like top, top headliners. And so <clears throat> I take a class there, stand-up class. We have a class show. I kill. Because it's people that are supportive and like our friends and family and all that, right? Mm-hmm. And like it was a five-minute set. It was fairly easy to get through. The next day, I get a call from them. Hey, you guys should you should come in and do a guest spot. And my teacher's like, you got to do it. You got to go. I was like, all right. So I go there and they're like, well, the hosts didn't show up. You, sh- you want to host the whole weekend? Oh, wow. So I got six gigs out of it, right? But here's the thing. I wasn't ready. So I'm out there hosting. <laughs> I'm pretty much dying. <laughs> like half the time at the very least, right? And I'm hating myself. Just And I'm just getting through it. I'm like, you know what? what I have the spot. The, the 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 manager keeps telling me to do different things. She's like, do other material or do. It. I'm like, I don't have other material. <laughs> but you got through it. I got through it. Uh, I didn't get called back, obviously, but like, but I got through it. But like third or fourth show, I'm walking uh, out of the club, and behind me there's a couple, and they go, Yeah, it was a really good show. Like the headliner was really good. The features were good. I didn't like the host though. <laughs> <laughs> But you have so then, to, sorry, go ahead. No, no, but you have to be okay with uh, with sometimes going through that shitty experience to open yourself up to other stuff. I mean, it doesn't feel good at that moment, though, right? Like, you turn around and, you're, and then they're like, oh, shit, they saw me. But here's what puts everything in perspective. A year later, I'm at Lollapalooza. I'm dancing, and some guy approaches me and he goes, hey, haven't you performed at the improv? I was like, yeah, like a year ago or something. He's like... Yeah, you're really good. I'm like, no, I think you're confusing me. <laughs> he's like, no, no, you were doing this material and da da da. I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, you were really good. And I was like, what? <laughs> I sucked, but this guy thinks I was really good. Oh, you know what? Maybe not everyone's gonna like me. Maybe I just to keep focused and working on it because there's people that identify with some of the things I'm saying, and I just need to find those people. And the more I worked at it the more I realize there's a lot of people that identify with what I'm doing. And I'm not the funniest guy. I don't even know if I'll ever be the funniest, but I have shit to talk about um, in an interesting way. Yeah, and uh, it, it goes well with what you said earlier about your business, which is you found something very niche. And even your audience in comedy is niche. Here is a guy that whatever you said or did that night resonated with him. And that already is great feedback and probably motivated you to keep on going. Yeah. Uh, And to even get to that point, though, (coughs) the first step was for you to say yes. Say yes to going to that improv class. Say yes when an opportunity came across to host an event that you were not prepared for. Um, You have to say yes to more things in life. Even if you're not ready, you have to be okay with being uncomfortable, as you said before. Because sometimes it might suck to go through that but it will pay dividends. And and even even perfect example how we met is when I started my meetup and it was completely unproven. It had very they had pretty much no audience. You still said to yourself, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to yeah. practice. Yeah. And you said yes to that. Yeah. And, and now uh, Yeah, so and it was playing. fun and and you guys kept doing it and you kept building the audience. We did that one at WeWork. Was it WeWork yeah, when we it did was it? WeWork, yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's and plus you got to network with other people. It was really cool. Yeah. Uh, so how did you how did you get to a point 
where you were able to get gigs consistently? I mean, what process do you have or did you create to be able to do that? Get good. Get better, get good so that people like you and invite you back? Yeah, that's pretty much that. I, I think at the end of the day, it's just like so, a soft piece of software, right? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, no one's going to buy it. So I'm building my features. I'm building my software. My act is a particular software. Mm-hmm. I think of it that way, right? It has these diff- different moving pieces and features. The only thing is, I don't know what the album is going to be. Mm-hmm. I just have to come up with as many features as I can and then, like, you know, relationships and then religion and the dead, you know, all these different features and see how I can plug them all together later at a later date. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's about working on your stuff and then re- and then reaching out to things that are attainable, mm-hmm. number one, and you can actually deliver on. There will be times when you're going to get stuff that you can't deliver on. And then you have to make that choice of like, should I say yes? Or is it more beneficial if I say, look, I can't deliver on this. Mm -hmm. And there has been times like that where I'm just like, you know. And um, how did you even get to a point where, because knowing you, I know that you were very deliberate and clearly an engineer mind. So if you want to iterate on what you're building, but you go out there and perform every single day or at least almost every single day. How do you even get to a point where you find enough venues? You, is it a lot of open mics? I mean, do you, yeah. is there, are yeah. you emailing, are you emailing people, owners of clubs? What are you actually doing to get the gigs? Uh, so for gigs, it's in, in New York, it's different than compared to everywhere else. If I go anywhere else, I'll email a bunch of places. Like I'm trying to do a Cali tour. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to do March or May yet, but um, I'll just email a bunch of people and let them know that here's my info. These... Uh, this time it will be a little different. I'll probably have more stats associated with who I am, um, so they know that they're they're getting someone that's has a base. Um, get as many gigs as I can. So I did a show. In, oh, I did a uh, tour in Chicago last May. Same thing. I emailed a bunch of people. When I got there, I only had six shows lined up. Okay. But there's open mics that run through the city, and there's websites that tell you where the there's websites and groups that tell you where the open mics are, what they're about, what time they sign up, da 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 da. Right. So I just went in. I did three open mics the first the day I stepped in there. I would have done four if my plane wasn't late, and I just did that. Boom, boom, boom. The whole week. By the end of the month, I ended up I ended up doing sixteen shows, oh. including Zanies and Laugh Factory. Wow. So. It's a little bit of all of that, right? And then I got to build my base. And another thing, too, is that, you know, people talk about social media, right? Well, it's not just about having followers, but you have to have followers that are engaging with you. Because what's the point of having a thousand people if no one actually cares about what you're doing, right? So going to Chicago, I have a huge base out there. Connecting with people and my supporters one-on-one or even like one in comedy club and connecting with them so that when we when they do see me on the internet they feel connected to this person it's not just like some dude here you know it's like i actually want to connect with these people all over the world so that's what you know that allowed me to do that as well and actually increased engagement uh, and to break the process down a little bit more, I'm curious, you know, when you, you said you emailed a bunch of people to set up these these six shows that you ended up being on, um, who, how'd you figure out who to email? Um, was it club owners, 
organizers. Yeah, it's like just you, you gotta talk. His, you know, you gotta you gotta search the groups online, Facebook, Instagram. Ha- like there's for LA, I'm gonna do a hashtag LA comedy. Look at a bunch of people that are posting flyers. Email them. You know, do you have any references? Do you have anywhere else I can go to? Just uh, over and cold calling. It's like sales. Mm. And this takes hours, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Takes your whole life. Um, And I don't want to do this stuff. You know, like obviously I can get, you know, you get a manager and an agent. But like even with that, what a lot of comics do is the, the... They'll work on their material and then they'll get an agent, but they're working for the agent. It's not like the agent is working. The agent will tell them where to go kind of thing, right? No, I'm a business. I'm a company. The agent represents my company. Mm. You go do these things for me. And that's the point that I want to get to is that I don't want anyone else having leverage over me, you know, if I could help it. I mean, add a couple of million bucks. <laughs> Soon. You're going to have a lot of leverage. And we'll have front row seats, baby. Um, but that's really important to consider because a lot of uh, people that are listening, they want to maybe write a book or start painting or go into comedy or start a business. But let's look at the artistic side of things. You know, if you want to get to a point where you're doing it full time, if you want to get to a point where you're constantly getting an opportunity to practice and perform and and, and perfect your craft. There's a lot of back-end work that goes into it. Um, and it's not the most fun work in the world, and you probably don't want to do it, but it's necessary to do in order to accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish. You know, And, and also what uh, something else that you mentioned is having a bunch of followers is not as important as having engaged followers. Uh, Tim Ferriss uh, talks about um, having finding your 1,000 true fans. And it's much more uh, beneficial to you to have a following that's smaller but at least of people that really care about what it is that you're doing yep uh that niche going back to that niche that we were yeah talking yeah about yeah. As well. yeah how do you sort of break up your let's say your week now now that you have a business that you're a partner of your you have your comedy career you're posting stuff on social media to continue engaging with your users do you break it down into different days do you do you have certain process um, every monday i do scheduling for 2 hours and i look at the past week see what was completed uh, next week what needs to be done i have uh, i set my 2018 goals in october of 2017 um and I said 2018 meaning like October 2017 all the way to December 2018. Um, and then every couple of months I reassess and I have a milestone that I try to hit. So for example, um, it was Gotham was the first one. Then I was leaving for vacation. So I had to get all these things out of the way. I think de- December was one of my most productive months because I was like, I want to just come back to more of an empty slate when I get, get back here. Um, and now my next milestone is LA, which is like eight weeks or seven weeks from now. So within that seven weeks, I have certain things, right? I have certain things I got to do based on my yearly goals that I have to accomplish. So I write those things down and I try to, yeah, Sadik is showing us right now the notebook where he writes things down. He made his own little agenda there. And it's a physical Should notebook, it, not an app. Didn't use a ruler, clearly. And, and you can <laughs> draw those lines. Your Artists don't use awful. the rulers, man. <laughs> All right, it's free form. Uh, the kids listening probably don't so, even know what a ruler is. But walk us through it. Uh, you got the major on the left side, major column on the left side, minor column on the right side. 
and then there's rows, right? The first row is for stand-up with the S, I believe it says on there. Mm-hmm. No, hold on. Uh, does it say S on there? C, comedy. C, I think so comedy. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, then personal and Bernicrat. Bernicrat is my activism stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Bernie. last one is auto-agent, which is work. Um, okay. How many hours a week do, would you say you spend on comedy versus business stuff versus activism or does that change i i spend about 40 hours a month on auto agent Mm -hmm. okay so every week i'm meeting with developers i have a lead senior developer slash like he has equity in the company as well so he has stake um he uh i'm training him to be my role in a year year and a half from now and then set him up with developers and also the structure of hiring new employees on the system, right? Um, because we, it's not just learning where the code is and the framework, but like what the process is, how banks communicate with lender, or sorry, uh, collectors, and uh, what the different criteria is with the, with the different variables to connect these guys. Like there's, there's a lot of uh, knowledge that needs to be transferred, right? So, um, so that's what I do, like on a monthly basis. But I'm thinking about it all the time. Like it's not like, you know, I'm on vacation and I'm hanging out with a few people that are talking crypto and hiring people for PHP and and my ears are open. I'm talking. I'm asking them their experiences, what I what I can do to hire the right people. I'm always thinking about it. Um, but about forty hours, I do thirty to forty. I do auto agent, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then activism is more like 10 to 15. Mm -hmm. So with activism, what I like doing is like, I like packaging something and then putting it onto the consciousness of society and then activating people. Um, I didn't realize how big of an influence I was until some people started telling me like offline, they'd be like, keep posting that stuff because I read it. That's how I get all my information. I'm like, what? (laughs) First off, wrong thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I have certain ideas. Um, I, uh, the HuffPo article I posted for activism, I, it was called Hillary Clinton is not electable. Okay. And it made it to the front page the first day of the Iowa caucus, the, the primaries, the first day of the primaries. Wow. And I wrote in there that if Hillary became the primary nominee, chances are Trump would become the president. Hmm. And this was when Trump was fighting against 15 other can- like guys in the Republican side. And everyone thought Hillary was going to, like, beat him. Right, right. Right? Like, the whole media is like, oh, he would never, he's never going to run. Oh, he's never going to win. Oh, he's never going to beat Hillary. Oh, he's never going to do the wall. Oh, he's never, it's just shut up. You're wrong every single time. It's just whatever the media said, you go the opposite way. And the crazy thing is, uh, not to <laughs> go into a tangent, but, like, Trump is half right about the media. Right, right. it's part That's of the why reason why he exists. Him so well, right? Yeah, exactly. This guy's a genius. Right. Well, <laughs> he's an idiot when it comes to policies, but accidental genius. You, right. you, you, hey, man, you don't just beat two political machines with billions of dollars backing them and media companies backing them. You don't just beat them out of nowhere. You have to be smart enough to do it. He's been he's been fighting the media for decades. Yeah, for decades. Uh, so okay, so forty hours a month on the business, ten to fifteen hours a month on activism, and and is it the rest of your time on comedy basically? The rest is comedy, man. Um, and even like I try to do about ten to fourteen hours of writing per week. Okay. 
Um, and then I try to get up, like, do 10 to 15 sets a week. I would like to get to the point where I'm just doing mo- ma- mainly clubs where they just give you a time slot. They're like, you're going to perform from 9.10 to 9.20. Mm-hmm. And you go to another club, 9.50 to 9, uh, 10 o'clock. Then 11.20 to 11.30. Uh, and then I can do a bunch of sets without having to... Like right now I have to do some open mics, some shows, some bar shows, some club shows. Uh, so. so so you're... You're really doing a lot um, between, and you even through writing in there, which is obviously really important, but activism, comedy, your business. Do you have a kind of daily ritual that you go through, or is there a lot of structure to your day? And if so, what is it? How does it repeat? So every week on Mondays, I schedule everything out. Yep. I go through my previous week. I look at the items completed. Then next week, I go through and I go, okay. These are my schedule. This is the shows that I'm already doing. These are the mics I'm gonna go to because with open mics, it's like number one, you gotta pay to to get stage time, which is the only like it's like a New York thing. Oh wow! Um, and New York can get away with it because the supply of comics here is like huge. Um, so then you go in, you do, you know, I, I, I write in what the mics are going to be. Then I write in time for writing. I have time for auto agent. I, I build it all out because I'm trying to use every minute and every second I can, right? So it's every week I build it all out. Every, every two months I'm setting a new milestone and every year I have goals for the whole year. If I get to 80% of what I set as my goals for the year, 60% of it, it's still monster compared to other people because all I did was create the structure ahead of time, preparation, and then every day you wake up and hit those goals. Um, I also have this app called Habits List. Habits List? Yeah. Okay. I, I put in there things that I want to develop habits for, so like five or six things, right? So reading three, or sorry, what was it, four times a week, but I do more, actually. Uh, writing four times a week, but I do more. Um eating salads and greens five or six times a week and not eating anything else. And this app sends you reminders? Um, you can't have it set. I don't have that. I just create a habit to like just look at it and do it. And then after a while, you get a streak and you see how well you're doing. And you can go back and look at the calendar and see that you've been crushing. And you'll feel it, man. Once you start doing this in a routine manner, and, you know, you, if you want to read a book, you don't have to start with four times a week. Start with one. Then you get that one done. Then you do two. 30 minutes. Yeah. And that itself is just going to build over time. You'll get better at it. And then you'll be able to do more in less time. Gotcha. That, that sounds really good. And um, the for, for the next... Segment. You see why I don't have a girlfriend, man? Yeah. Because <laughs> she'd be in that schedule. She'd I know. Be like, right? <laughs> no, relationships... Uh, Building a business and creating and going through a relationship can be difficult. It can be done. A lot of people no, no, do I it. No, of no, course. No, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just bitching because I haven't been laid in like three months. So that's all. <laughs> we'll help you with that. <laughs> Get your hand from under the table, Vadim. <laughs> Goodness. Um, so. Do any girls watch this? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We'll put up Sadik's uh, picture uh, along with this uh, episode just so all the ladies can yeah. check him out. I look like Brad Pitt, guys. He does. Yeah, he looks better. If uh, you put dirt on his face. <laughs> and your hair is just... Luscious. Women are jealous of it. I know that for a fact because I also read all your Facebook stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
So right, right now I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what the biggest problem right now is in your either business or comedy career that you're trying to work through. Because this show, you know, we call ourselves The Mentors, and a lot of times it helps to even just talk through this stuff. And it doesn't matter how successful you are, we all still encounter problems on a daily basis. So what's top of mind for you right now? So my biggest roadblock is something that is out of my own control. Complete, Like, it's not completely out of my control, but um, I need people sur- surrounding me. So for... Like an entourage? Or? So... <laughs> I just need Women. people to show that I'm cool. Uh, so for my own business, for stand-up, I need an apprentice. So what do I mean by that? Oh, Plato had, what, Socrates, right? Mm-hmm. So I need someone who's younger that needs wants to learn, but also good at doing and learning anything because that's the trait that... So here's I, I wrote this all out. I'm going to have a job application for my apprentice. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing out all this. So on this side... So this side is stuff that's like menial tasks, like laundry and dry cleaning and all that crap. Some of that I can just outsource to like companies to do so I don't have to have bother the apprentice. Right. But there's stuff like flights and hotels and doctor's appointments that someone that's an ass- assistant or apprentice should be able to do. But the main thing is the social media plans, the newsletter, blog post, website, website edits, Contact publishers, find new delivery methods. Like I would help them, but I would also want them to do it on their own. It would be like 25% to 50% of me mentoring them, the other part of them actually completing these things. Would a virtual assistant work, you think? I've thought about that, but it won't because they need to understand the process and I would have to teach a person over and over and over again. They have to have, they have to understand uh, style. They have to have uh, an eye for some of these things. So they're working on video, you know, and they're working on, and, and it's not that difficult. Okay. So it's like, if I were to put someone in a row, it'd be like a young Chinese girl or like an Asian girl, because they're really, because Asians are really good with phones. They're really good with social media. They're really good with editing pictures. Like they're always, they're, they're always surrounding themselves with technology when it comes to that. So anyone that can do that, mm-hmm. But then ideally, it sounds like you want somebody who wants themselves to become a stand-up comedian because that's part of the value that you're offering. No, because a lot of this stuff is just about a regular day-to-day job stuff, man. This is about like I'm creating my own LLC, my own company. Anyone in this role, and this is like a $15 an hour role, right? And I'm going to try to do bonuses to like give incentives for work that they do, um, percentages on like bookings they might get, Mm -hmm. you know? but it's for someone who's younger who wants to learn how to create everything. Everything. That's what I'm good at doing. And I know that's a lot to ask for, but I feel like there's someone out there that I can I I can actually help, especially in New York. I wonder if if uh, that could be a way of positioning it though to find that um, Chinese girl who's struggling at an open mic somewhere who wants to learn how to get to your level and you can say, hey, listen, I will teach you that. I'll yeah. also teach you these business skills yeah. you're going to have to help me There's out. There's a problem be- there though. I know how stand-up comedians work yeah. and it's about stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. To find someone who can let go of their stage time and on behalf of mine is a very tricky thing to do. If I find someone that way, of course. Sure. you know. But it's like about probability game, right? Like, like I was saying earlier. It's like, okay, 
I'm very open-minded. I have certain needs. I'm certain way. Uh, chances are I might find a girlfriend in a burner community because they're much more open-minded and da 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 right? Like if I was looking for a, a relationship and I'm Christian, I would go to Christian Mingle, right? Like that's what I would do. With stand-up comics, they're trying to get up on stage. Right. That's their, it's, and it's like when I'm on stage, I'm not going to wait for them to get up and do their set. Right, right. You know? Um, this is someone who's really good, who wants to like learn business and wants to learn social media and wants to learn all that stuff and do a little assistant stuff on the side. Right. Um, and they have a different viewpoint as to how to approach this. Um, and the way I'm going to do the job description too, I'm going to do an infographic type of thing where I'm going to have my face on there and then I'll say who I am, right? Mm -hmm. So tech, there's three parts me. Technology, I'm CTO, Chief Technology Officer. Comedy, I'm a CFO, Chief Funny Officer. <laughs> and uh, Activism, CRO, Chief Revolution Officer. So your biggest problem right now then, both for your business and comedy, sounds like recruiting. Yeah, that's really the bot. I just need another hand, an another a few hands on, on deck, right? Like that are professional and I, I'm paying pretty good. Like the, I'm just talking about young people, right? Like it's like uh, working at coffee shops for $10 an hour. <laughs> and by the way, if young people are listening, I'm a little pissed off at you. Okay. <laughs> because the future is about knowing everything. I'm telling you this over and over again, because I hear a lot of young people that go like, I'm like telling them this. I'm like, well, I just want to do the social media part. I'm like, but I can do the social media part. What else can you do? What do you do? Anyone. You can ask anyone. Anyone's good at social media. You just teach them a few things and how to do it or whatever. Social media. You know. Um, what else do you do? Do things. Learn things. Because you're, you're going to get left behind in the future, man. Technology is like all around us. I don't... I, I, I don't know if about you guys, but I'm worried about people, even our age, that don't understand technology and don't realize it's going to be, it's not linear, it's exponential. Oh, yeah. And 10 years from now, it's going to be different. This We're exactly on the same page. And we talk to college students a lot um, and have given some talks recently at universities in New York. And that's one of the things we uh, we tell them is, you know, if you want a job in a certain field, you got to learn the skills and a lot of times you can't learn that skill in school. You just have to do it on the side, right. on your free time. Right. And in order to be successful in life, you have to continuously learn and always acquire new skills because specialization isn't going to get you far. Right. I think that with this job that you're trying to fill specifically for, for an assistant uh, and for someone to help you with your comedy career, uh, at least to manage that part of it, you know, if you look at it as like the product is you, the product is your comedy. And you're only going to be able to attract people that are interested in learning about comedy. Maybe right. not someone that I wants to mean. be a stand-up comic yeah. themselves. Yeah. I, I agree with you now that you mentioned that perhaps that, that might not work. Uh, it could, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they wouldn't necessarily be taking your stage time if they're just starting out. But someone that wants to learn that world. Or entertainment, right. Entertainment in yeah. general. Maybe they want to become a manager of right. comedians down the line. And you're essentially letting them in. Yeah, and, and I've... And I've um... Looked at other uh, companies that are doing comedy and producing comedy, and they have interns that come in and they like comedy, but they're not doing. They don't want to do stand up, mm -hmm. but they still want to learn the industry. So there's definitely people out there, and and I think New York is, is filled with a lot of talented people. It's just about um, framing what I want properly, 
putting it out into the world where it's focused. Like I have a friend that's very involved in a lot of like women, women's development networks, right? Hey, listen, you get me a good person. I'll, I might have more jobs later for you, you know, just pass it on and more focused, but not just job boards, like in person trying to find people. Um, yeah, we'll see. I'll keep asking you guys yeah, in the yeah. future, I'm sure. For sure. Um, any closing words or advice for the audience, for people that are feeling stuck? We've already talked about this, of course, but what can they do today? Um, right away, if you're interested in something, chances are you haven't researched that. Take 30 minutes, set a timer, do the Pomodoro technique. 30 minutes, don't look at Facebook, don't look at anything. Look at the topic that you're interested in and just read about it and read different angles, not just the Wikipedia, read different articles, read both sides, you know, not just one side of the coin. Um, start there. If it inspires you, then get a, go to a class. I like classes, personally. It yeah. gives you it gives you outside account accountability, which is weird because yeah. I dropped out of college. <laughs> <laughs> like I love yeah. learning, I just don't like learning in that particular way. You find you find things that interest you, but I think that a, a key thing that you mentioned here uh, is that you need to make progress, even if it's little progress, day by day. So find that thirty minutes every day to research that thing you're passionate about. The next day, you might be able to take it to the next level. Signing up for a yep. for a class. The following week, it could be 30 minutes just trying to figure out if you could book a gig if you want to become yep. a comedian, right? And go into an open mic. But every single day, taking at least a small amount of time is achievable, and that'll build upon itself. And I have a lot of people that I've met that, that they want to do comedy, and they're like, like, so go up on stage and do it. And they're like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's the only way, man. You gotta, someone had to tell me that. I got scared, too. I remember that time, right? So like, the only way to learn is to do it. And, you know, put some information in, put your knowledge in, go out and then experience it. Then go back, learn a little bit more, go back, experience it. Do, do what Sadiq did. Start, <clears throat> start taking that computer apart and yep. putting it back together to see how it works. Get up on stage and bomb to yep. figure out your own style and figure out what the audience want. You cannot become something you cannot be a creator if you don't actually take the plunge and create and do embrace the failure embrace the fear start forming habits start working on yourself do the preparation do the research but then as soon as possible or simultaneously get out just get get out of your house you know get out of your comfort zone but get get out of your house get off the bed get off the couch Go out there, go to a class, surround yourself with people. Just go down the street and dance, bro. Just for dance. a second, just dance. <laughs> that's the moral of it. And that's, that's what we're good. about to do here. We're going to dance. Is dance. Enough talk. Let's dance. Um, thanks a lot, Sadiq, for coming on the show. Um, hopefully, you guys have learned something we certainly have, and this has reinvigorated some of our motivations uh, to continue to create uh, on a daily basis. I definitely personally... Uh, and Sergey as well. I know him very well as a twin. Um, you know, can be more structured in life. For example, just because I used to be less organized doesn't mean I can't become more organized. So, uh, Sada gave some great examples of how he stays on track and how he sets goals and keeps himself accountable. I'm gonna take that advice. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, Sada guys, Simani. for having me. Uh, and uh, thank you for being on the Mentors. Tune in next week. Cheers.
tune in. Bye. Bye.